This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. The 1619 Project is sweeping through American education. A journalistic account of American history published by the New York Times has provided a single factor explanation for all of US history from the arrival of the first slave in the colony of Virginia in 1619 down to the present time. Single factor stories abound in historical accounts, uh, most famously uh, uh, Gibbon's classic account of the decline of the Roman Empire attributed its demise to the rise of Christianity. And so it is with many other tales, uh, whether or not the Scots made the, uh, the modern world or not, uh, there is one book out there that makes that claim. So it's not like this is an unusual thing to come across something that focuses on one aspect of life and uh, shows how pervasive its consequences are. And it's not surprising that journalists do this. That's what they're trained to do. What's more surprising is that uh, schools are picking up this idea, whether explicitly the 1619 Project or something akin to it, and asking students to be taught uh, around a topic that is uh, sort of one-dimensional. And that question arose in the state of California just this past week when the legislature seemed on the verge of persuading the governor to sign a piece of legislation that would uh, require a particular curriculum to be used for ethnic studies. So Governor Newsom, Gavin Newsom, uh, surprised everybody when he vetoed this legislation instead and that may be because of Williamson Evers, a senior fellow at the Independent Institute in Oakland, California, who has long commented on curricular issues in American education and was the first person to really focus in on a new development in California. I am very happy to have with me uh, on the, the Education Exchange today, uh, Williamson Evers. Uh, uh, Bill, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you for having me. So, Bill, uh, let's first talk about the, uh, the breaking news. What exactly did Governor Newsom veto? So, he vetoed a bill, 33, AB 331, and it said that in a few years, all students, in order to graduate from high school, had to take a semester-long class in ethnic studies. And the reason he gave in his veto message was that the model curriculum, and to clarify slightly what you said, it wouldn't have been a required curriculum, but it certainly would have been the dominant curriculum and the default curriculum in California schools. Uh, that, that it was not ready for prime time. He thought it was unbalanced and it needed extensive revision. So you were the first person to really bring this uh, to public attention. Uh, at, what, at what stage of the process did you uh, take note of the fact that a particular curriculum was being um, authorized by the State Board of Education if, if the legislature would, uh, would so decide? So last year in 2019, uh, I read uh, in, in July, when it was in a final form, uh, an extensive draft of this curriculum. And I spent an entire weekend, it was like three or 400 pages long, 
this model curriculum and really full of impenetrable jazz. I mean, the pantless, uh, cis-heteropatriarchy, uh, ableism, you know, I could go on and on. We, I don't even understand these concepts. I think I better take this course. Can you tell me, can you just define uh, one or two of these words, please? Well, cis-heteropatriarchy means the rule of uh, men who are heterosexual. Uh, the pantless has to, it, it, it goes back to uh, some ideas that the social scientists have taken from uh, American Indian ideas. Um, ableism has to do with looking uh, in favor favorably on people who are physically not disabled, uh, all this sort of thing. It, it, it's mostly jargon. A lot of it could be said in regular language if you really had to say it. But the key thing is that it's a, it, it develops a mindset that orients you toward a particular ideology. Uh, it's a very radical, progressive ideology. Bill, Bill, what, what's the evidence for that? Why do you call this an ideology? What is there in the material that says this is ideological rather than just focusing on some issues out there? Let's just take capitalism as an example. My initial article, uh, the title that the Wall Street Journal gave it was California wants to teach your kids that capitalism is racist. It, this wasn't, as I said, wasn't my title, but it certainly reflected my point. Uh, so they treat capitalism not as a uh, system of private property and entrepreneurs and risk and investment and so forth, but they frankly say in this uh, original 2019 draft that capitalism is a system of exploitation of labor where surplus value of the workers are confiscated. This is Karl Marx. I mean, it's no no mainstream textbook in America, even in the Harvard Economics Department. Would now no, that's not that's <laughs> that's not even in the even in the Stanford sure. even in the Stanford <laughs> Economics Department. Um, so th there's many other things. The, the underlying idea in both the 1619 project and in critical ethnic studies is something called critical race theory. And this was recently in the news because President Donald Trump said that he was ending federal employees having to undergo uh, training, employee training in critical racial theory. So- Okay, so what is critical racial theory? Yeah. All these concepts that just uh, are a little beyond my ken. So, and our listeners probably well, know too. Yeah. Yep. So what is critical race theory? So this gets back to your question about where is our ideology in this? So the idea of critical racial theory is that everything is about race. And uh, so, you know, it's actually, even though the players are morally evaluated differently, it's very similar to Hitler's national socialist race theory. So everything is about race and who dominates. And the idea of critical racial theory is that everything in America, our culture, our politics, our constitution, our declaration of independence, our civil liberties, our uh, aspirations to 
toleration, our civil rights laws, all of this is a cover-up for whites dominating blacks. Well, you know, it is true that the Declaration of Independence was written by Thomas Jefferson, who was a, a slave owner. And uh, at the same time that he's liberating Americans uh, from, the, from the British uh, domination, he is exercising domination over all those people on his plantation. So there's something to that, isn't there? Well, I would say not really, because the ideals in the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence are subversive of slavery. And Jefferson himself tried to include in the Declaration uh, the fact that the King of England had fostered the slave trade, but they had to have all the colonies sign on, and there were slave-owning colonies. And uh, it's, it's clear that Jefferson said, you know, he said in his own writings that you can't really say that somebody should be the slave of somebody else. If He's saying, well, what if some people are not as smart as others? It's kind of the Aristotelian idea about slavery. Are we, is one, you know, two people meet, one is smarter than the other, like Paul Peterson is smarter than Bill Evers. Does that mean I have to be your slave? <laughs> I'm going to say, no, I don't think so. So he argued against this, uh, but, you know, he was a weak person, a sinner, as many of us are. But I think the key thing is that the ideals of the American Revolution, the principles of 1776, are subversive of slavery and eventually brought it to an end and continue to uh, defend the civil rights of all people in America. So, of course, Lincoln um, always said that this was um, an experiment, the American experiment, and we didn't know whether it would survive. We, 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 he had a sense that it was unique. It was different yes. from anything that existed before. And, uh, and it was at constant risk that it would not continue. Uh, but he was willing to tolerate slavery in some states in order to preserve the American experiment. So isn't but that- I think, I think the key thing to understand is that Lincoln and the Republican Party had the ideology of free soil and free labor. And so that idea was that men should naturally be, and, and when they're working, they should be contracting uh, free individual to free individual that they wanted to always be advancing that. They always wanted to be advancing free soil, which is soil where territory that was would not allow slavery. So the dynamic that he was trying to foster at all times was he didn't think the country could endure half slave and half free in his own words. And uh, so he was pushing this, but he was a politician. And, was, you know, he, you're right, he didn't, he fought the war to preserve the Union, but, but ending slavery became a war aim. Yeah, so eventually, when it becomes clear that freeing the slaves is going to be a way of winning the war, and also winning the war becomes a justification for freeing the slaves to those who previously hadn't been enthusiastic about the idea, he does issue the Emancipation Proclamation. But I'd, li I'd like to get back 
to this ethnic studies thing and, and kind of distinguish it from the 1619, even though they have the roots in the same, in the same critical race theory. So as you said in your introductory remarks, the idea of the 1619 project is to frame all of American history in terms of this racial antagonism, this idea that whites are out to dominate blacks and that it's slavery or near slavery from beginning to end until now. Okay, so that's history. So ethnic studies is more in the field of behavioral science, sociology, which is probably most close to uh, anthropology, political science, which is a field that you and I share as our discipline. And so it's, it, it's been around. We all can, you and I can certainly remember Beyond the Melting Pot, the work by Nathan Glazer and Daniel Patrick Moynihan on uh, Italians, Irish, Poles, Pu uh, Puerto Ricans, and Jews in New York City. And Blacks. Uh, yes, and we can also remember the Rise of the Unmeltable Ethnics by uh, Michael Novak. And so this, this has been going on some decades, looking at this in a serious academic way. The difference in critical ethnic studies is that they use this critical race theory. So they have, first of all, they only look at four ethnic groups, Blacks, Latinos, American Indians, and Asian Americans. And this goes back to the San Francisco state strike of 1968, where these ethnic groups were viewed as a revolutionary vanguard that would bring about a socialist revolution in the United States. So as a substitute, and certainly one that Marx would not have accepted, that as a substitute for the proletariat, these uh, identity politics radicals believe that these ethnic groups can be mobilized to be a spear point for radical social transformation. And that the whites and people from other, any other ethnic group are gonna be and only can be allies at best, enemies or very subordinate allies. And that's it. So you might be a white person, you might think I'm not racist. They're gonna say, the critical race theorists are gonna say, you are a racist. You are objectively a racist. You have white skin privilege. So you, once again, it's everything is about race. Well, that might have been in that 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 gang of folks who were out there on strike back there in 1968, but that can't possibly be in this curriculum that was approved by the State Board of Education. It's in there, California. Yes, they only they only there was massive pressure to include additional ethnic groups, and in both the 2019 version and in the 2020 version, they weren't in there. I mean. <laughs> It's funny to say this. This, this struggle, the struggle, struggle over ethnic inclusiveness has been going on many years. Diane Ravitch just had a, a, a posting in which she talks about in the mid 1980s participating in California curriculum decisions and the Armenians lobbying like crazy to have a major place in the curriculum. They're doing it again today. Uh, Jews would like to have a discussion of their plight and their achievements in the curriculum other other groups so uh, 
and one of the big fights is that the people in critical race theory want to have Palestinian Arabs and want to have multiple lesson plans on the evils of Israel and the plight of Palestinian Arabs. I'm not saying there aren't uh, pro problems and injustices that have been done to various people in the Middle East. There are. Israel is not the only country with sins on its, you know, plate. And uh, this is singling out in a rather anti-Semitic way. It's rather unfortunate that there is an underlying anti-Semitic tone to this critical racial. Well, is that the reason the governor vetoed this particular model that, because uh, he says something about he doesn't like this, this model. Yeah. Uh, he likes the general idea. He doesn't like right. this model. So was it the anti-Semitic elements in the curriculum that really motivated him in this case, do you think? I, you know, I cannot read his mind. I, observing him, I would say he would like to maybe have higher office, Senator, United, United States President. He uh, may be treading carefully. He's, you know, he comes from business Democrat background. He was a businessman in San Francisco. He has long advanced himself by taking policy from the progressive movement. That's one of his main traits from throughout his political thing. But he was worked with Jerry Brown for many years. Jerry Brown's view is always paddle a little to the left, paddle a little to the right. And Newsom may be thinking that he needs to paddle a little to the right on this because this is going too far. So there's another academic consideration that I brought up in my most recent Wall Street Journal column that ran last month. And that is what positive gain academically comes from ethnic studies. You know, a good ethnic study, of course, you can learn more, but there might even be spillover effects. So a uh, professor at Stanford School of Education, uh, Thomas D, says that you can get some longer persistence in school so the kids won't drop out, they'll stay in school longer, maybe they'll get slightly higher grades. But, he says, the best ethnic studies programs are not a litany of victimhood, they're not endless stuff about oppression and suffering, which is what's in these model curricula 2019 and 2020, but instead things about the resilience of ethnic groups, their self-help abilities, their abilities to climb the ladder, their uh, success and achievements. So I would give as an example that Korean Americans are well known in the social science literature for having kinship-based rotating credit associations that allow Korean Americans to launch new businesses. And, you know, as a Californian, you can see this all over Los Angeles and all over Oakland. And this kind of thing, and, it, you know, Jews and Armenians could also be examples of this if you had a more inclusive ethnic studies. You can see the rise of ethnic groups. You can also see successes among Blacks, among Latinos, among American Indians, and so forth. And that this would help with morale as well as accuracy and balance. You know, what I would say is that if you look at whose test scores are going up more rapidly in the last 25 years, it's Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans, 
and African-Americans to a lesser extent, but still more than white Americans. So white Americans who have not made much of an advance in recent years, when you look right. nationwide at the trend lines. So that's all, that's all the critical race theory will explain, that's all to fool you. <laughs> oh, so how, how can that fool me? Oh, I mean, they're just, they're, these the are test, facts. The these are no, 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 the test makers are pulling the wool over your eyes. They can't, they can't possibly be making advances. Well, that's obviously a, they're making they're making socioeconomic advances too. I mean, uh, American system, if you want to call it a system, uh, allows for social advance. Uh, paddy wagons were named paddy wagons because of mass arrests of Irish criminals. Okay, uh, Irish don't you know, the Irish have advanced in all sorts of areas: professional life, business life, entertainment everything politics so uh, this can happen to other ethnic groups and they need to reach within their own ethnicities history and culture they can borrow from other successful rises of both individual and group effort well it's hard for me to believe that this curriculum out in california that was put out there by the state board of education and passed by the legislature didn't include examples of self by the these various ethnic groups. Is it does possibly be? Are you sure? It's all, uh, yeah, I'm sure. A thousand I read. pages. You there wasn't anything like this. It wasn't. It, it's hundreds of pages. No, it's not about that. It's about Mumia, the cop killer. Okay, it's about 19 methods of Howard Zim as an authority, the, the radical historian who makes a lot of mistakes, who's erroneous in many ways. It's twice, the mentions and discussion of Malcolm X are twice that of Martin Luther King, a man whom you wrote about in one of your education books. Look, this is an ideological indoctrination program and a training session for future identity politics activists, and that's what it is. It is not normal learning. It is not exemplars that can help people pull themselves up by their bootstraps. It is revolutionary mobilization. So I want to know how they got the board to approve this. So, so the board has not yet approved it. So there are various stages in California. So the, the 2019 one was prepared by a special committee, uh, largely professors of ethnic studies in California institutions of higher education, particularly uh, CSU system, California State University system. They then uh, presented it to the Curriculum Commission in California, which is called the Instructional Quality Commission. And so it got derailed around that. So then they sent it back to the drawing board and they, they fired their initial committee that did the 2019 thing. All the people were, of course, still around lobbying quite a bit. And uh, the State Department of Education took the 2019 uh, curriculum and trimmed it down and took out some of the wilder language, but certainly not all of it. And, uh, and they represented it, okay? So, um, and, and 
the, the Instructional Quality Commission thought they went way too far. They said, put back all the glossary of cis-heteropatriarchy and ableism and the pamphlets and all this other stuff. And, uh, you know, anyway, so this is, well, this is the point at which the governor said- is that part of the board, the instructional committee? Is that a no, no, it's a subordinate body to the board. And this, the board has to vote at the end of March by, by law. It has to vote on adopting a model curriculum. So this is a live issue. Uh, the veto only has to do with taking the course, the required course. The, the model curriculum is still before the state board. And presumably, this is what the public official, the governor asked, said that I want the State Board of Education and the State Department of Education to work on a new revised draft uh, to make it less, less unbalanced and to take the necessary revisions. We don't know what he has in mind because he didn't detail it, but you know, lots of things in politics are done <laughs> away from the public eye. So, uh, you know, my view is he should get rid of the, they, they should get rid of the anti-capitalist rhetoric. They should ditch the anti-Semitism, both secret and open. They should uh, try and use mainstream social science. I mean, there's many things from history and economics and sociology and social psychology that could be in there. And I detail that in my second Wall Street Journal column, uh, including things from Gary Becker, who won the Nobel Prize in part for his work on economics of discrimination. None of that, none of that, you know. <laughs> Where is Thomas Sowell in his whole 400 pages? Nowhere, right? So it's all France Fanon, okay? Who was a Algerian psychiatrist who celebrated violence. Uh, it's Black Panther Party, it's Angela Davis, it's George Jackson. Some of these names won't necessarily mean something to, to so uh, radical, listeners. Uh, but... Radical leaders get celebrated in this document time, yes, time again. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so, so more, so, more so in the 2019 version, some of it was trimmed back, but as I say, Mumia is still there. So, so now this document is going to go back through a process, come up to the State Board of Education Correct. coming spring. Yes. They're going to vote on it at that time. And at that time, it will be made available if they vote favorably, regardless of what the governor has done. But right. it will be required. It'll be just one it's of the- It's a model. Here. Right. But, you know, you and I both know school districts and school teachers. This is a, a semester-long course, uh, and you know textbooks that adhere to it will get subsidies from the state. And the default—I don't want to say that districts are lazy exactly, but they have a lot of things to do, and the easiest thing for them to do is to just take this as an off-the-shelf offering and adopt it. And many. You know, scores of districts in California have already done this. Already done this. Santa Barbara, just as an example. They have already Los adopted Santa. this curriculum? Yeah, actually, some of them have adopted the 2019 more 
jargon-laden, more politically extreme version. So this issue is not over with. Absolutely not. This is this is just a second. This veto is part of the second battle. There's more battles to come. The the people you have to understand that the people who advocate this critical race theory are all over institutions of higher education in California and the rest of the country. And they are ensconced. And, you know, they're, I wouldn't say their critics are, there, there are no critics. There are some excellent critics, but, you know, they're more of the other side. Uh, you know, you and I have been involved in school reform for a long time. We have very similar positions. And you know that we are outnumbered in the field of education policy. Nonetheless, people on our side, you know, find a lot of flaws in other people. And we've been able to make some improvements or hold off some bad things. I hope people will uh, struggle to prevent this taking over everything. And, uh, well, listen, this is a fascinating account of a little-known development that only captured a lot of uh, public attention with the uh, governor, uh, who actually is a Democrat presiding over a Democratic legislature that has... Overwhelmingly Democratic. Yes. Overwhelmingly Democratic. And for the governor to decide he has to veto something his own party has put through the legislature is sort of a headline-capturing event. and. Uh, and I think a lot of this owes uh, this this uh, much of the governor's action uh, is is a response to uh, the detailed work that you have been doing on this for. Thank you. I think that's right. Obviously, parents, disgruntled parents, other ethnic groups that wanted to be included or wanted to be treated more fairly uh, have been an important part of this. But I think you're right that uh, this proves that scholars can have impact. Thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate your joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you for having me. I've been speaking with Williamson Evers, a senior fellow at the Independent Institute in Open California. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me every Monday at noon when our weekly podcast is released on the Education Next website.